Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. It's time in our service where we are going to open up the Word. Uh, We're going to be reading today from John chapter 21. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with with you and you would like one, there are baskets on the aisles. Uh, You can grab a Bible out of there. If you haven't got a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home. It is yours. John chapter 21. That's the last chapter of John. I'm reading from the NIV. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would, that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. Graham's going to come. Here I am. Here you are. The man behind the curtain. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Yeah, my name's Graham. Uh, I've had a really good week. I've sent an archaeologist to Kazakhstan and a barista to Cairo. That's a good week for me. Uh, what I do for a living is I send uh, ordinary people to take calculated risks in unusual places for Jesus. And if we haven't met yet, come and see me afterwards and I'll see where I can send you. I'm really good at getting rid of people. Really good at getting rid of people. Today we're going to talk about mistakes and we're going to talk about changes. Now, I've made more than a few mistakes. I don't have time to catalogue them all this morning. Uh, one that stands out in my mind is uh, when I was a young adult, when I was in my 20s, we'd play, I played soccer for a long, long time, for many years, uh, with my friends and the team who I'd known a life, all my life. And, and our routine on Saturday was that we'd play soccer in the afternoon, we'd go home, uh, get dressed, and, you know, get uh, cleaned up and go out all together. And I remember one Saturday, we had a late game, we were rushing out the door, and uh, as I, you know, I had a shower and we go, was ready to go out, I realised my breath wasn't real good and I'd better freshen that up if I was going to impress the girls that night. So, so what I did in our bathroom, we used to have this product called Listerine, which was a kind of a breath freshener. Some of you might have known that. And the idea is that you, you get a little thimble full of it and you dilute it and you gargle it and it freshens up your breath. Well, I wasn't worried about that diluting business. And I was in a rush, so I just grabbed a bottle of amber-coloured fluid from underneath my bathroom sink and poured it straight down my throat and I'm gargling and thinking, wow, this is a lot stronger than I thought it was. Uh, uh, wow, this is actually you know, quite a painful experience. And I looked at the bottle and I'd swallowed industrial grade toilet cleaner. And I was gar gargling toilet cleaner in my bathroom. Oh, that was it. I, we went out for dinner that night. I didn't taste anything. Everything tasted like a hospital toilet. It was pretty... I, actually, I lost all feeling in my mouth. I completely lost control of what I could say, so it was really hard to impress the girls. <laughs> that didn't... So that was one mistake I made, a memorable one. I've never done that one again. Uh, I've made other ones since then. Now, I'd, if you wanted to ask my greatest mistakes, I'd have to ask you, you know, what do you want, a chronological list? Do you want an alphabetical list? Do you want a list by order of magnitude? <laughs> by cost in dollars, by cost in relationships? I've, I've made a few since then. And today we're looking at a guy who's made, I think, a pretty big mistake. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that actually turns into a big change in his life. Now, last week we looked at the effect the death and resurrection of Jesus had on a guy called Thomas. Uh, he was a guy who was struggling to believe everything that he saw happen around him. He wasn't really sure who Jesus was or 
uh, what happened to him when he died or whether he'd risen from the dead or not. You might remember he's famous for being doubting. But then uh, one day Jesus appeared. He said, put your fingers in my side. Uh, Thomas confessed. He said, my Lord and my God. And that changed his life. He went from a guy who wasn't really sure uh, what was going on to someone who was so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead that he, he walked all the way from Palestine right around to the tip of India telling people. And he founded churches that today, still today, thousands of years later, have, have millions of people in them. So the death and resurrection of, of Jesus changed the life of Thomas and it, it changed Peter's life as well. Uh, there are three changes that I can think of here in Peter's life. One is from self to Jesus, one is from self to others, and the third one is from self to sacrifice. Uh, this is the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. The previous chapter, it sounded like it was going to end after the story of Thomas. John chapter 20 ends like this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the end of John chapter 20. And when you read that, it feels like actually the credits should be going up now. So it sounds like the end, doesn't it? It sounds like the end, the credits should be going up and the music should be playing, the theme song of the movie. But then there's a whole other chapter. Uh, the story of Jesus in a way has finished in John chapter 20, but then it, there's a new chapter, a new section coming in John chapter 21. It's just like... Actually, the, the end of the gospel is just like the end of every Marvel movie. I don't know if you've realised, if you haven't, but every Marvel movie, and we've seen, I think, almost everyone, some of them several times. Last night, what did we watch last night? Infinity War, because we're getting ready for, what's the next one? Endgame. Endgame, that's right. Thank you, fans. There's a few fans out there. Uh, all the Marvel movies end in a similar way. The movie ends and the credits play and there's another scene, sometimes more than one. That's a, a preview of the next movie to come. And when, when us fans go, we always stay right to the end. You, you scoff at all these people who leave early, don't you? <laughs> don't they know there's more? So that's what John's Gospel is. Just like that, I'm sure that Mr Marvel got his idea from John's Gospel. It seems to end, but then there's a whole new chapter to begin. And that's the, this is the chapter that we're looking at today. Chapter 21, when Jesus appears to his friends. Uh, that he's died, he's raised from the dead, and they're kind of, what do you do next? Like, nobody saw that coming. <laughs> they're, they're at a bit of a loss, really. That, that wasn't part of their plan. And so they're sort of milling about, wondering what to do, until Peter puts up his hand and says, I'm going fishing, which for them is, means I'm going back to work. I mean, you've got to eat, right? So I don't know what else to do. Let's go back to work and go back to whatever life was. And so all the other disciples think, oh, Okay, yeah, seems reasonable, let's do that. And so they go out to fish. But they are completely unproductive. Uh, they've been working all night, uh, they've got nothing, they're professional fishermen, and then as the dawn breaks, they see a guy standing on the shore who gives them instructions about how to do their job better. And that's nothing you love more as a trades minister, to have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing give you advice about how to do your job. I just love it when that happens. Uh, so Jesus, they don't know it's him because it's kind of dark and they're not really expecting him either. Uh, he tells them to put the net out the other side and they catch 153 fish, like a massive haul of fish. 
And, and many people have spent many hours looking for secret meanings in that 153, and it's, there's some weird and wacky ideas out there. My, my theory of why that Bible records there are 153 fish is because there were 153 fish. I don't know, a flash of insight there, maybe. That's how many fish they caught. And uh, fishermen like to count, professional fishermen obviously like to keep a track of how they're doing. And so there was a massive catch of fish that day. And, and that gets people thinking. They, they begin to think about what's really happening here. Because in the back of their minds, now they're making a connection with something that happened years ago. And now three or so years ago, there'd been another scene just like this, maybe even in the same spot, where these same people were fishing. Jesus appeared by the side of the lake and, he, and there was another miraculous catch of fish. That's the point where he, he called those guys to be disciples. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, a lot's happened in those years, a lot of things they didn't expect. So I, I understand why it takes time to connect the dots, but, but now the, the, the net is so full, uh, one of the disciples, John, realises, oh, it's the Lord. You know, the sun's coming up, maybe visibility's a bit better, his memory's been jogged by the events that have happened, and so he realises it's Jesus. Uh, Peter immediately dives into the water and gets properly dressed so he can swim. He dives into the water to go and see Jesus, leaving the others to bring in the nets. They sit down together and they have breakfast. It's a bit of an awkward time. Nobody knows what to say. Uh, how do you make small talk with somebody who's just risen from the dead? How's your week been, Jesus? Uh, <laughs> you know, I died, I rose from the dead. Oh, lovely. It's been quite warm here too. Uh, you know, how do you make, what do you say? Uh, perhaps they're feeling a bit awkward because not long ago, they'd all betrayed him. That would make one feel, as they say in the classics, totes orcs. I'm so told that's what all the cool kids say these days. So they don't know what to say. Nobody wants to say, they all kind of know, but nobody wants to say it out loud. So they have breakfast together. In fact, it's the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, Jesus has some questions for Peter, who's perhaps feeling more awkward than any of the others. Uh, well, it's really it's the same question three times. Do you love me? Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? That's the first version of the question, which makes you think, these what? I'm guessing it's these other disciples. Uh, not long ago, uh, Peter had made a big noise about how how devoted he was to Jesus, how if everybody else fell away, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to stick up for you, Jesus, I'll never desert you, I'm better than all these people, nobody loves you more than I do, so I reckon that's probably what Jesus was referring to. Do you love me all the, more than these other guys do? And Peter says, yes, I do. Then feed my lambs. The same question or a variation of it is asked three times. Now that is it not an accident? There's a reason for that. Uh, the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied Jesus three times. Uh, so Peter, who had only a little while before professed his devotion and his willingness to die with Christ, when Jesus was taken to his trial, actually Peter followed him. That's more than can be said for the others. The others ran away, so yeah, well done Peter at that point. Uh, Jesus got to his trial 
And Peter stood not far away, far enough so that he could actually hear what was happening, he could see what was happening. And three times people challenged him about his identity. You're, you're one of them, you're one of the disciples. And three times he denied it, even with calling down curses on himself. I've never met this guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, three times Peter denied Jesus. And you might remember at that point, Jesus looked directly at him and they could see each other and Peter broke down and wept. Uh, so now three times uh, G- Jesus asked Peter the same question. Do you love me? The question is phrased slightly differently, slightly different times, but I don't think that's really important. Uh, Obviously, Peter didn't worry about what exact word was used for love in the sentence. What struck Peter, what really cut him, was the fact that Jesus asked that question three times. The repetition of it was what had an impact on Peter. And uh, Peter just, I guess he just gives up in the end. That's the impression I get anyway. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. And so the change, the first change we see in Peter uh, through this experience of seeing Jesus die and and seeing him raised from the dead is that he's he's not confident in himself anymore. His confidence is in Christ. It's not about himself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I love you. I'll never desert you. I'll stick up for you. It's not about me anymore. It's, Lord, you know. (laughs) You know. I don't know myself. I don't want to make big promises about myself anymore. You know what I really think. You know what I really feel. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't make promises about myself. Lord, you know. So the first big change we see in Peter is from a person who is full of himself to somebody who just says, Lord, you know. You know, I can't tell you anything that you don't know. I'm not going to make any promises I can't keep. You know what's in my heart. So that's the first change from self-confidence, you might say, to actually acknowledging who Jesus is, that he's the one who knows everything. And it's all about him. It's not about me or how great I am or the wonderful things that I'm going to do. Three times Jesus asked Peter the same question. Do you love me? Now, in terms of what Peter did when he betrayed Jesus, it's hard to think of a more hurtful thing, isn't it? I mean, there's a sense in which all sins are the same. They are all breaking the law. But when it comes to really knifing Jesus, as it were, it's hard to think of a worse thing, a more hurtful thing, a more direct thing than to actually deny him at his trial. That must have been a really painful thing for, for Jesus and also for Peter in the end. And when Jesus is undoing all of that and restoring Peter, what does he ask Peter? Does he say, Peter, how's your theology? Uh, Peter, do you have correct beliefs about me? Peter, are you busy in the church? Peter, you're on committees. Peter, what are you doing? How much money are you giving, Peter? doesn't ask any of those things, does he? When it comes to restoring Peter and to helping Peter understand that he is forgiven, the only thing that Jesus asks is, do you love me? And he asks it three times because it's such an important thing. It's a simple question, isn't it? Do you love me? But it's a profound question and it has a life-changing effect on Peter. Love is important and loving Jesus is important. Uh, A number of years ago, a group of young theologians contemplated the importance of love, uh, deeply 
they were great thinkers of the late 20th century. And they wrote, uh, wrote about the significance of love. They wrote these important words. I don't care who you are, where you're from, or what you've done, as long as you love me. I speak, of course, of the theologians better known as the Backstreet Boys. Uh, some of you are fans. I think, Ray, Ray, are you a fan of the Backstreet Boys? I believe Ray is uh, performing a uh, number at the talent quest that's coming up. Uh, the Backstreet Boys. They, I don't know much about the Backstreet Boys. I don't know. I'm not really asking you to reveal whether you're a fan or not. There are limits to our openness, I think, in a public gathering. Although prayer is available down the front later on, should you feel that need. But I don't know what else they had to say, but they got that right, didn't they? It's very close, I think, to what Jesus was saying here to Peter. Everybody in the room, everybody on the beach there that day knew that he denied Jesus three times to his face at his moment of need. And all that Jesus wanted to know was, do you love me? Do you love me? And maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you've done things that you'd rather people didn't know about and that you hope they never find out. Maybe you've done things that you're not proud of that have hurt other people. And what does Jesus want from you? He wants to know whether you love him. It's not very hard. He wants to know whether you love him. Of course, that has consequences for behaviour. There's, there's something that comes out of that. I mean, what does it really mean to love Jesus anyway? You know, I, I, we use that word all the time. We say, I love my wife. I love my dog, I love vanilla slice, I'm a bit of a fan of vanilla slice, I, but, but we mean different things by those, don't we? And you express them in different ways. I love my wife, I give her a relaxing back massage when she's had a difficult day at work. I, I give my dog a tummy tickle, I suppose, but it's not quite the same. Uh, I love vanilla slice and I eat it, but I don't love my dog that way. <laughs> I express my love for my dog in a different way. You know, I, I, don't take my, I don't pat my wife unless I want to get slapped. And I don't take vanilla slice for a walk in the afternoon when he's been a good boy. You know, so we use this word love in very different ways and, and have very, very different outcomes. What does Jesus actually mean here? Well, it makes it clear, I think, the question, because it has a, a follow-on three times, do you love me? Three times, the, the, then feed my sheep, then feed my lambs, then take care of my sheep. If you love me then look after my people. That's what Jesus is really talking about. I think everybody on that day knew Jesus didn't actually own any sheep at that point. He was talking about his people. Peter, if you love me, then look after my people. Now, Peter had, a, I guess, well, not quite unique, but almost unique role as a disciple, as an eyewitness, as somebody whose memories would contribute to the writing of the gospel and whose, whose thoughts would be written down in the epistles and the letters that he sent. So that, so that was the way that Peter fed us, and we're still feeding on his word, his, his memories in the Gospels and his writings in, in the epistles. They're fantastic. They're brilliant. We're still being fed by him. We don't do that, not that way. Uh, we don't, I hope that nobody here is planning to add extra bits to the Bible or, or write things to be included. Please, I'd uh, probably be good to chat afterwards if you're tempted to add extra bits to the Bible. It's, probably not a good idea. Okay, not a good idea. So we don't do exactly that, but there are other ways that we look after people. If we love Jesus, we look after his people. And I know that scores of people in this room do that every week in all sorts of different ways. 
We've got people who lead MCGs, our small groups. We've got people now with the kids downstairs. We've got the musicians. Because they love Jesus, they lead us in the music, don't they? We've got people who are doing the food ministry and use and make the coffee and do the sound and set all of this up. It doesn't appear. It, it takes hours of work. I know that there are scores of people, people I've forgotten, probably. Because they love Jesus, then they serve his people in some way. The two, one leads into the other. And I think you can go backwards as well. If you come and go without actually connecting with anybody and without contributing to the life of others, then I put it to you that you probably don't love Jesus very much. Probably don't. That seems to me to be the obvious conclusion. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, look after my people. Uh, How do you do that? I know that many people do, and I encourage you to keep doing that. It is a fantastic thing to do, and and we are all the better for the contributions that different people make. Uh, But if you happen to be one of the the few people, I think, who comes and your limit of connecting is looking at the back of somebody else's head and your your limit of caring is, you know, a few mumbled words over the one-minute welcome, then you don't really have much to do with anybody apart from that, then I put it to you that you actually don't love Jesus very much. If you don't have time for his people and you don't have a way to make a contribution to others, then probably you're not very keen on Jesus either. I guess that's something for you to think about for yourself. So this is the second change that Peter goes through, I think. The first one was from self to Jesus, from confidence in self to confidence in Christ. Lord, you know. Well, here's the second one here. It's not about me. It's not about me having a big seat at the table, about me sitting at his right hand. It's about looking after other people, about doing what I can to care for them from self to others. The first change from self to Christ, the second one from self to others. And then we see the third one, because after that little interchange, uh, Jesus actually predicts Peter's death. Uh, Jesus says, when you were young, you did what you want. Did what you wanted. You went where you wanted to go. You dressed yourself how you like. You're, You're a person in charge of your own life. But when you're old, somebody else will dress you and somebody else will lead you and they'll take you where you don't want to go. Uh, That's talking about Peter's death. And Peter, we understand from the words passed down through the church that Peter died in Rome. Uh, Eventually, uh, he was crucified upside down. So Peter gave his life, he sacrificed his life for Jesus. It's kind of irony here, isn't there? Before the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was keen to do that. He said, I'll never desert you. I'll die with you. I'm full of all these great things. How wonderful I am. How lucky you are to have me, Jesus. I'll stick by you. But then actually, it's harder than it looks, really, isn't it? And when the crunch came, Peter just, just walked away. But actually, the death and resurrection of Jesus changed Peter so that he was able to do that at the end. Uh, having seen Jesus die, having understood his resurrection and all that meant and having had time to think about that, and that changed Peter to a person who in the end was willing to sacrifice himself. He was able to do that. That's the third change I think that's happening here. Uh, from, from self to Jesus, from self to others, and from self to sacrifice. 
it's worth thinking about the progression of, of this conversation. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. You're going to die. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, that's not what we would like, is it? Or necessarily what we would expect. And even there would be places where they would say that it's the opposite. That, you know, if you love him, then yes. If you love him, yes. If you love him, yes. Then you'll lead a wonderful life. Then you'll be healthy and wealthy and wise and, and everything will be good. And, you, you know, loving Jesus will result in an endless procession of, of rainbows and, and marshmallows. And, and let me offer a theological comment on that. <laughs> It's, it's not how it works. It's not how it worked for Peter. Uh, it's not how it worked for Jesus. It's not how it worked for any of the apostles. It's not how it works. I, I wish that it were so. And eventually, when we look back on things, when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll realise it was worth it. But along the way, actually, it's going to be sacrifices to be made. There are going to be sacrifices to be made. And Peter did lose his life in the end. Countless others have done so since then. And still sacrifices are made in big and small ways every week. Uh, people gave up hours to put all of this together and, and time to look after each other during the week. There are sacrifices big and small being made all the time. This is the third conversion, the third change in Peter's life from self to sacrifice. And we've seen it before and we'll see it again. Uh, even this week, if you're, if you're watching the news, You'll know that uh, an Australian rugby, name, rugby player named uh, Israel Folau, who's a believer, uh, he shared some comments on social media about his understanding of homosexuality. I think actually by now he's lost his job and a $900,000 a year contract torn up. He's lost his spot on the national team. So he's lost his career. Uh, he's lost all of that because of his faith and his understanding of that. It's a, it's a huge sacrifice, isn't it? I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't get my head around that. Just pour your whole life into one goal and to finally get there and then to have to give it all up again. <coughs> Sacrifices big and small will continue to be made by all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. So big mistakes, in this case, lead to big changes. Big changes in the life of Peter, at least three that I can see in this passage here this morning. From self, I'm great, I'm good, I'll love you, I'll stick by you. To, from self to Jesus, Lord, you know. You know. Uh, from self to others, I'm going to get a big seat at the table, I'll be at your right hand, I'll be the big guy. Actually, I'm going to spend my life looking after others. I'm going to spend my life serving. And then from self to sacrifice. Three changes that Peter's made are three changes that we make as well as we understand the meaning of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this record of Peter's conversation with Jesus. There is much in his life that we admire and much in his life that we admit is echoed in ours. Help us to be less concerned about ourselves and how great we are, and more concerned about you, about the Lord Jesus.
about loving him and loving his people. Help us to be ready to make the sacrifices as we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice over Easter. Help us to be ready to make the sacrifices big and small that which that love will require. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.